Shalom everyone, welcome to another episode of The Upper Room After Hours. I'll be your host for the foreseeable. Uh, thanks again for, for joining me, uh, much appreciate your time and the effort to, uh, yeah, uh, join me. So um, there's so much uh, I could have <laughs> got into uh, for this week, uh, lots going on in the world, lots going on in the news. Uh, but I've had to whittle it down, be a bit disciplined in terms of uh, what we're looking at. And uh, yeah, should be a, another action-packed one for us to, to get into. Um, so uh, let's not waste any more time with the pleasantries. Let's just uh, get into it. And uh, yeah, uh, again, uh, a lot of these um, uh, stories and subjects, I, I, I may not uh, have a definitive uh, beginning, middle and end Um it's always good just to throw it out to you guys. Uh, it's really good to, to see your observations, uh, your take on things. And, uh, you know, with, with uh, more perspectives, we can get somewhere closer to the truth. So, um, yeah, without further ado, let's uh, let's crack straight into it. Um, now, I don't know if you're uh, if you're familiar with this or seen it in the news. Uh, it's uh, it's it's the Indian moon landing. Um now, <laughs> there's uh, when I, when I saw this uh, I, again, this isn't to be uh, dismissive or, or uh, I don't know rude about any nation or or, or any attempts uh, of people doing stuff. Like I know there's obviously a lot of uh, conjecture uh, in and around um, the realm of uh, space and space travel. Um, you know, quite what it is that. Uh, that has actually taken place in the past. Obviously, there are those who who think that uh, we went to the moon. There are those that don't. Um, and uh, th- this just um, was just a, a, an example, I thought, of um, just uh, some of the things that take place in and around this subject. And the beauty of how these things work, I, I think, in, in my humble opinion, is that... Uh, the enemy seems to be very good at compartmentalizing <laughs> and it's within that segregation and separation with an institution or or, a, or a, an event that takes place is that there can be people involved who, who genuinely feel like they're actually um, doing something or uh, feel like they're actually um, doing the thing that, that, that they think is taking place but Lo and behold, um, a lot of it can be quite farcical. And it's, you know, I don't know whether it's a, a case of, you know, when the Lord gives you the eyes to see uh, that things of this nature become a bit more, uh, I guess, farcical. Um, and again, it's, um, it's not my intention to belittle the individuals or, or the peoples involved. It's just uh, sometimes you've got to apply that critical thinking and um, it, it leaves you scratching your head. So, um, yeah, this is the, the landing of the Chandrayaan free um which uh coincidentally comes not too long after the the failed russian attempt at uh, landing on the south pole of the moon where apparently there's there's lots of uh uh resource and treasures to be had um so yeah let's just play the clip and uh see what you guys think abhi hum log lagbhag lagbhag 135 meter ki the tension is palpable. The sensors that are updating at this point are providing confirmation of the safety of the landing site. 
a heart-stopping moment for everyone watching this as the land of Vikram descends softly on the southern face of the moon. Jubilation all around. Sir, we have achieved soft landing on the moon. India is on the moon. A surge in the national pride as India joins the table as a key player in the global community of space exploration. It's only the fourth country after the United States, former Soviet Union and China to have a spacecraft land on the moon, but the first to be on the southern side. India's successful moon mission is not just India's alone. This success belongs to all of humanity. And assembly between the S-200... India's moon mission has been in the making for 15 years. And it comes just days after a Russian spacecraft crashed in its attempt to reach the southern side. Scientists believe that craters there may contain frozen water the detection of which could potentially support a permanent base on the moon. The earlier moon missions were about adventure. Uh, the present moon missions are uh, looking at minerals, water, etc., thinking in terms of, like we have in Antarctica today on Earth, a science mission based there which would continue to do science. The cost of Chandrayaan-3 was $74 million, less than half the cost of the Hollywood blockbuster Interstellar. Now India must strike a balance between growing its investment in space and meeting the demands of the millions of its citizens living in poverty. But there's no doubt today's pioneering moment and unprecedented success cements India's position as a major player in the space race. Neville Lazarus, Sky News, Delhi. And there we have it. Um, India lands on the moon. So let's let's get the tinfoil hat on and uh, maybe apply a bit of critical thinking. Now, the first, first portal call is like this graphic of the landing module. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's straight out of a an Atari from the 80s in terms of the, the, the quality of the graphics. But what, what made me giggle initially is, is just the, this, this notion of the, the, the uh, Indian Prime Minister um, watching the, 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 the feed of this simulation of the, of the landing, um, which, uh, again, you can get into the, uh, the notion of, of all of the uh, skullduggery in and around NASA, uh, the fact that all the pictures are composites and... You know, we, we know the drill with that, that side of things. But um, when this is presented in a, in a mainstream uh, format and it's just like, uh, are you serious? Like, the, the feed is, is the guy watching a simulation. So, you know, I'm thinking this can't be, this can't be like the be-all and end-all of, of what's taking place. Like there has to be some kind of, like, footage in terms of... You can't just present that and say... Yeah, that, here we go, and and we've landed on the moon. Like, that's that's not how it works. Um, actually, before I go further into the footage, if we take a look at the um, the quintessential uh, the quintessential landing module of like 
the the school project. It's like lock a kid in a garage with some tin foil, sticky back plastic, some some loo roll, and you, you you're probably going to build something <laughs> like this. I mean, I can barely get my shopping back home from 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 the shops without it falling to pieces are you telling me this like this assembly is gonna survive like hundreds of thousands of miles per hour going into through you know the vigors of space and orbiting hundreds of thousands of miles you know when you look like a poorly wrapped birthday present and like how how does that how does that work logistically uh, and I know they were probably those who, that would advocate for this being real, saying, well, you know, once it's in the vacuum of space, it, it will be, you know, there's no wind. and Like, how are you getting that anywhere? <laughs> like, really? I've I, I actually just clocked onto this little uh, checkerboard. I don't know if that's a hat tip. More than likely. But anyway, like, uh, this is the initial report I'd seen, and I, I'm just like, okay, so... Uh, this is this is definitely a raffle uh, I'm not buying a ticket for. Um, so to be fair, like in the interest of fairness, I thought there must be footage of the actual like landing uh, from the from the module or from the rocket. Like there must be something going on. Um, so what it looked like when India landed on the moon. Uh, duh, duh, duh. Uh, there was no guarantee that the lander would make it in one piece. Uh, a previous Indian vehicle crashed in 2019 as it headed to the lunar surface. Um, and then we get into this uh, this footage. And um, the, the principle that I really struggle with is like in the days of modern technology, uh, cameras and equipment, like this, this is the best... This is this is the best that they have to offer. Some like highly pigmented. I just uh, really struggle to accept that this is the best in quality in terms of what what can be seen from from this this landing. That could that could be that literally that looks like a. I've just bit into an aero chocolate bar and turned the black and white mode on. Like that could be anything. I'm sorry. Uh, one element that I thought was uh, quite exciting is that in the uh, I think it's in the simulation. You've got the uh, where is it? Uh, oh look! So you you've, you've got the stars in the sky. Look at all those stars, and then you look at the footage, and there ain't. Ain't no star to be seen anywhere. As a matter of fact, uh, I can't see. Yeah, I can't see any other form of light source or anything in the sky. Um, and much like the the footage of when uh, Tesla they sent the Tesla car up into space and it did the orbits, and um, obviously there was a load of uh, hoo ha over that. But like again, like depictions of the earth from space with not a single star in the sky not a single satellite to be to be seen and uh i'm supposed to take that as uh as actual real footage it's just i, I just think it's a poor effort um 
And then we've got the footage of the separation of the, the spacecraft uh, from the rocket. There you go, big up the tinfoil crew. Um, suspiciously like bubbles. I mean, they could be particles of the uh, of the spacecraft disconnecting. Who knows? It it could be underwater CGI combination. I don't know. I wasn't there. Can only speculate. Um, but uh, overall, it's just a, it's just an interesting move at an interest interesting time. Like, I don't really know the resolve of why or how like India are involved or the prominence of of them uh, being part of this lunar uh, discourse. But uh, yeah, I just saw that and thought, uh, yeah, no thanks, but no thanks. And um, it's just a, an interesting concept. This um, this space race, this this weaponization of of space, and um, what it actually means uh, in a in a bigger bigger context. I know Donald Trump over the previous uh, years spoke about um, the space race and the the space force. We need some sort of space police, and you know it could be handed over to nefarious. Uh, powers that could then use it to manipulate and i just thought this this strange concept of the weaponizing of of space and how it will impact society the earth and energy like the whole lot but um yeah i, I came also came across um this video now it's a few years old but it's uh it's from a a former american general i think he was in the U.S. Air Force, uh, a guy by the name of Stephen Quast. Uh, again, I, I don't know these folks from Adam, but, you know, you come across certain people with prominence. And, yeah, um, so this guy is addressing, uh, I believe it's Hillsdale College, and he's and he's discussing the, the urgent need for a U.S. Space Force and uh, just this strange uh, premise of, of weaponizing and militarizing an area in which like we we've got no no clue about i mean by their own admission we can't get out of our radiation belt as it were the or the firmament if you like to call it um but yet we're talking about how it's going to impact the economy and building permanent stations and yeah, it's just uh it's just very strange so yeah we'll, we'll get into this um yeah. All survival, survival, energy. So energy, transportation, information, and manufacturing, these are the things that change humanity, that will change world power, and they are descending upon us in ways that are very unique. The technology is on the engineering benches today, but most Americans and most in Congress have not had time to really look deeply at what's going on here. But I've had the benefit of 33 years of studying and becoming... How long? But 33 years. 33, that's, that's a convenient amount of time. I mean, friends with these engineers and these scientists. This technology can be built today with technology that is not developmental to deliver any human being from any place on planet Earth to any other place in less than an hour. To deliver Wi-Fi from space where you never need a cell tower to connect to deliver energy from space where you never have to plug your phone in and it trickle charges and you can use that energy over time. It can be applied to cars, to houses, 
The technology of Edison and Tesla that we live with in our energy environment, our paradigm today, is expensive, it's dangerous, and it's wasteful. Plug it into the wall, but yet that's all what we all do because we are used to paradigms. The power of space will change world power forever. And it doesn't have to be a big country to do it. It can be a small island country, let's say New Zealand. Because the technology, if optimized, can change world power, and there's nothing you can do if you don't have that power. The nature of power. You either have it and your values rule, or you do not have it, and you must submit. We see that play out again and again in history, and it's playing out now. But we get trapped here in America, for example. Three times in the last 100 years, we have failed to optimize the technologies that were coming about to our own peril. In 1920, the country turned to General Pershing and General MacArthur. That's the father, MacArthur, the two-year sea, land, and air friction environment. And whenever humanity has a new marketplace like this, if there is not some guardian force that brings predictability to that economic marketplace, violence ensues. Pirates, thieves, and thugs steal what good men and women build. And it's just a part of human nature. And that will not change. So as we look to these new markets and we see Elon Musk building a starship that will be able to launch from anywhere and go anywhere in less than an hour with massive volume and weight, and he throws up 12,000 satellites that will bring you Wi-Fi from space where you will laugh at the, your uh, descendants or your, your uh, fathers and mothers that had to rely on cell towers or see the little circle of death waiting for signal. They will laugh and scoff at that. They will laugh and scoff that you had to put fuel into your tank and your car or plug into a wall because your phone was running out of juice in the airports. The lines waiting for the outlet are no more. We get trapped in these paradigms. But yet, just like Germany was competition for the airplane, the tank, and the nuclear weapon that we eventually won, but at great cost, China is our competition. Russia is our competition. They see the power of the economy of space in these four sectors, and they are rushing to that future. And there is no guardian force in America, but there is in China. China has already built the organization and has the strategy and the doctrine, the technology and the builders for their guardian force of space. They are building a navy in space with the equivalent of battleships and destroyers that will be able to maneuver and kill and communicate with dominance. And we are not. Now. So, um, yeah, really, really interesting uh, premise that he's, he's already setting up here that, that, that good old America, good old America, the guardians of the galaxy, as it were, um, need to take heed. Otherwise, our evil, oppressive foes over, over in the Far East will be uh, dominating and killing um, those who don't submit. Now, I I don't know if you <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with modern history, but 
America, you got blood on your hands, boy. Pot kettle black and all that. Um, but uh, again, just uh, wrapping my head around this premise of like weaponizing uh, or economizing space. I, I, I just, it's. It, I mean, it's mad. And then when you talk, when you look at it in terms of technology and, and where technology comes from, our ideas for technology, you know, is you're getting into fallen angel territory. And it's mad when you see these little, sorry, these people uh, getting giddy over the future and almost dismissive of, of, of old ways of doing stuff. Uh, you know, you, you won't believe. Uh, it's just... Um, Anyway, so the the next setup I, I found was very interesting in, in terms of the, uh, the 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 construct that he now goes into. Uh, he talks about the the premise of of space ex ex exploration in 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 context of uh, naval uh, uh, exploration and travel, um, and sometimes these organizations and people in high places they like to discuss things that are. In, in, in plain sight, as it were. So, um, yeah, uh, have a listen and, and see what you think. This analogy might help clarify the picture, going back to my original comment of what's really going on here. The competition is not about making better satellites or even having a constellation of satellites. When you see China on the far side of the moon mapping today the minerals and the resources so that they can eventually have infrastructure to build and 3D print and have a manufacturing industry in space. What you are watching is the equivalent of us sitting here on our continental United States, let's say we're in Miami, and we're looking out over the wide open ocean. That ocean is deep space. The orbit around the Earth is the shoreline where the waves are crashing. The deep water is space. And there is a continent out there three times the size of Africa. That's the moon. And nobody lives there. It's only three days away. It has massive amounts of everything that Mother Earth has, to include water on the South Pole, in the craters, greater than the Great Lakes, as far as volume. And China is racing with ships on that open ocean to that great, open, desolate place that can be turned into resources and blessing for a marketplace. And they're doing it not just to get the resources, but to tap into the trillion dollar markets on planet Earth. Imagine what you could do if you could sell technology to somebody from China and deliver Wi-Fi. And once you've built the infrastructure in space, you can deliver it for pennies. Electricity where your satellite dish doesn't just get direct TV now, it gets energy that supplies your Chinese batteries and capacitors as they're building to get radio waves from space that give you that energy over time. They will tap into those trillion dollar markets as they have in the past, as we have in the past, and fund their ecosystem their economy, their marketplace in cislunar space, which is basically the distance between the Earth and the moon and beyond. And we, as an American society, we are sitting on Miami Beach, sipping our pina colada, looking out at the waves, and as we are watching China build this navy with battleships and destroyers going out into the open oceans and off to this continent three times the size of Africa, 
We are building buoys and lighthouses, which are the satellites. They can see and hear what's going on, but can't do a darn thing about that rover on the back side of the moon, the far side of the moon, that if we were to try to go there, they could shoot us down. And speed matters. Speed matters, because whoever gets to the new market sets the values for that market. And we could either have the market with the values of our Constitution, where every human being is created equal and loved equally by God and their parents and their brothers and sisters, and that respect is manifested in the rights of an individual to vote, to own land, to bear arms, all the things the Constitution gives us, or we can have the values that we see manifest in China, Hong Kong, the Uyghurs. You pick your example of subordination and crushing religion and human rights and human dignity and human liberty. But America is such a good-hearted country, we oftentimes are deceived by the nature of China's strategy. Their strategy is not to make better satellites. Their strategy is to build an economy before we do. Because if you get there first, they will be able to, with a constellation in space, see and kill anything that flies above the trees. Uh, and it goes on. Um, good-hearted America, the guardians of the galaxy, racing ahead of the great dragon that is China in order to be the savior of everyone for your best interests, to uh, uphold the, the God-given constitution of, of uh, freedom and, and the American dream. Um, for me, this, uh, this just stinks of wizardry <laughs> all around. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, uh, space exploration, uh, moon landings. And, um, yeah, I, I think we're in the, uh, we're probably in the early, uh, stages in terms of, um, what, what this, um, what this spell, <laughs> what this spell is actually uh, trying to achieve, but uh, yeah, that's um, the space race. Uh, let me know what you think. Get involved in the comments, and uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what uh, the good-hearted Americans uh, plan for us in the future. So um, am I just being a, a cynic? Um, did 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 we did they land on the moon? Did we? Has anybody been on the moon? Um, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, what are your thoughts on this weaponizing of space? What does that mean in terms of the uh, narrative of technology, uh, green living, renewable energy? Is it all interlinked? Again, for those who are more well-versed in these areas, uh, give us a shout and let us know. But again, food for thought. segment um 
I actually intended to go into this one um, with one intention, but found myself going in a different direction. Um, and again, this is, um, I guess this is a, a, a question I'm throwing out there to the, to the body of Christ in terms of how we deal with a, an old, old problem, um, but in maybe a, a slightly more modern context. And um, yeah, uh, my, my initial uh, intention was to look at um, contemporary Christian music in uh in a in a certain context and in and the the premise being um how culture society artistic endeavors can um be pervasive in the realms of worship uh songs um uh, about god about jesus and um how we view that uh, in a modern lens now you know you can go down the, the the Bethel route you can go down the Maverick City route and look at the um, I guess the Christian music industrial complex and, and how it's evolved into um, a, a very kind of secular looking um, set up in terms of how the industry works, the money that's involved, the, the major labels that are behind uh, a lot of uh, modern uh, Christian music. And um, I, I have my own personal points of view about what I like to listen to and what I, I think is holds true to a biblical uh, standard. And it's, it's a topic I've wrestled with uh, a lot because music's been a, a big part of my life growing up and... I've had preferences in the world and, you know, you go through a, a process of, of sanctifying and changing your, your tastes and, um, you know, so th there's lots of grace to be had in that. Anyway, um, the premise being uh, how if, you know, I just Googled, I literally Googled uh, Christian music chart and um, I was kind of, I was a little bit shocked. I wasn't, again, I wasn't surprised. There's not really many things that are too surprising today. Um, and, uh, yeah, I came across um, a, an individual uh, by the name of uh, Flamey Grant. Now, uh, why I came across this, I'd, I'd, I'd Googled uh, Christian music chart and lo and behold, there was just loads of stories on this individual, and um, this uh, this person has uh, topped the Christian, the so-called Christian music charts, um, as a as a drag artist with a, a I believe the album's called um, Bible Belt Baby. Um, and I know there's a, there's a difficulty in in you know oh well if you talk about these individuals if you give them more exposure then it's giving them more weight like. I'm not too fast. I, me personally, I, I, I'm not here to, to talk about the shock value of, oh my gosh, it's a, it's a drag. How dare you? Like, um, you know, there's obviously that context to it, but I think there's a subtext that rides along with this narrative, which I think is, again, so my premise was, wow, like we're, we're now in a position where contemporary modern Christian music in its attempts to be relevant 
in its attempts to sell units, in its attempts to, to, to merge its identity with creative endeavors whilst um, worshipping and glorifying the name of Christ, is actually compromised its, its values and thus it's, it's left a, a back door open, no pun intended, um, it's left a door open for um, acts like this um, to come through and to actually have a position and a place um, within the Christian so-called music scene. Now, again, the initial reaction is to be like, oh, gosh, I can't believe that in this day and age it's the end of days and all of that. Like, I get that. I get that. Um, so let's we'll dive in and you'll see where the divergence in my school of thought was, was, uh, came from. So meet the drag queen who hit number one on the Christian music charts with help from a Trump ally. Okay. Um, growing up closeted uh, while attending an evangelical church in a small town in North Carolina, Matthew Blake found refuge in music, uh, particularly the songs of the Christian musician uh, turned pop star Amy Grant. When years later they, became, they began performing in drag, uh, they took the name Flamey Grant of honour of their hero. Um, Writing songs in Flamey's voice opened up a new world to me, Blake recalls. I could say things I didn't know how to say before. Now, Flamey has earned a number one hit on the iTunes Christian music chart, thanks in part to a prominent evangelical provocateur. Uh, this is a hard one. Sean Foigt, a failed Republican congressional candidate and one of Trump's most powerful evangelical allies, called Flamey's collaboration with a Christian rock star a harbinger of the last days. He probably didn't mean for his remarks to make the drag queen a superstar, but that's exactly what they did. Now, we could probably do a whole section on this Sean Foyt uh, individual, um, uh, a guy who was in the uh, very close circles with President Trump, um, an, uh, an advocate of, uh, of new agey, uh, witchy style Christianity, you know, the law of attraction, all of that garbage. Um, very questionable. Uh, individual um but like i said that's that's uh, I, I digress um shortly after telling flamey grant hardly anyone listens or cares what you do uh Foyt accidentally inspired the growing movement of ex-vangelicals those who have left the christian right whose love for grant's music and disdain for maga persecution of drag performers drove that album and song to the number one spot now for me there's uh that that tells a story you know, nobody cares uh, about what you're doing. Now, I, I'm not in a, I'm not in a position here. I, I'm not. It's not my um, intention to to glorify or to validate, as we'll get into any of this stuff. But I, I tend to find that the more that you try to shun or, or uh, not uh, attempt to to um, acknowledge something, it, it can come and bite you, bite you in the backside. Um. Anyway, um. The rising phenomenon of Flamey Grant and other ex-evangelical musicians is not only driven by the backlash to the Christian right, but exists within a tradition of queer Christian songwriters wrestling against their industry's institutionalized homophobia. I've been called a groomer and a paedophile a lot, says Flamey Grant, of the harassment they face following their chart success. The album Bible Belt Baby hit number one in 27th of July and remained there for nine days. Again, just off the bat, Doing that whole link thing there between the two is between, you know, certain sexual orientations. That's just, that's really lazy. 
Um, just talks about how um, this this Sean Fuchs uh, fanned the flames by um, again uh, saying things about this uh, this individual. Um, for generations, contemporary Christian music was an isolated corner of the music industry that expected its performers to remain on the right side of the culture wars with mixed results. But thanks to shifts in how music charts are calculated, along with the movement of confessional songs from those scarred by evangelical childhoods and questioning such teachings, whose work is still categorized as Christian music, uh, the entire genre is being turned on its head. There are a lot of people in Christian music who want this, says Grant's collaborator Derek Webb, former song songwriter for the popular Christian rock band Cademan's Call. Speaking of LGBTQ acceptance in Christian music, um, but no one wants to be the first to take that step. What would be suicide for one person could be a revolution for those who follow. Um, Webb was part of a wave of 90s Christian rock stars, including Pedro the Lion's David Bazan and DC Talk's Kevin Max, who became disillusioned with the right-wing culture of CCM and began writing songs questioning that institution, going through a process commonly referred in the ex-evangelical world as deconstruction, wherein a Christian unpacks the political, cultural and theological rhetoric that they've been fed throughout their lives and discards what doesn't ring true anymore for some that is all of it now the key word there being deconstruction now deconstruction isn't exclusive just to this ex-evangelical movement now if you're familiar with christian uh, rap christian hip-hop um there is a, a lot of this um narrative of deconstruction of artists who were who were pursued a creative uh, career uh, in the name of jesus and have found themselves in a in a in an area in which they're questioning their faith and actually deconstructing the tenets of what they've been taught even to the point of point of apostasy so this isn't exclusive just to the to, to the lgbtq community who, who suffered um in, in whatever church or whatever institution um but yeah, this is something that's become prevalent. So um, Webb appreciates the term for fueling this movement, but fears what's been weaponized by the right to the point of being meaningless. Um, well, yeah, so there's a remark there. These truly are the last days. Um, okay. Uh, a maternal figure like Grant, a kind of share or dolly parton to young queer Christians like Blake throughout the 80s and 90s became essential when Blake, like so many questioning Christians of the time, enrolled in Exodus International, an ex-gay conversion therapy program that has since shut down and been disavowed by its founders. Now, this is where the, the, the segue starts to... Um, uh, starts to appear for me. So uh, Blake was working as a worship band leader at a mega church in Reno at the time and was trying to shed the queer impulses that had been with them since grade school. Uh, I definitely considered ending my life, Blake recalls. Uh, data shows that conversion therapy leads to high rates of depression and suicide, but we're, we're going to get into that. Uh, thank God for music because I didn't have, if I didn't have those creative outlets, I don't know where I'd be. Um, then goes on to talk about Flamey Grant, uh, Blake's, um, attendance of this um, conversion therapy and the fallout from it and um, after five years of exodus failed to turn Blake straight they eventually embraced their sexuality began attending a progressive church in San Diego and launched a podcast that laid bare their deconstruction experience uh, during the pandemic Blake played music on an ex-evangelical live stream 
called Heathen Happy Hour and one night decided to show up in drag under the moniker Flamey Grant. Goes on to talk about um, how there was liberation in this transformative uh, process. Um, again, talking about... Um, yeah, ex-evangelical audiences flocked to Flaming Grant almost instantly, leading to collaborations with former 90s Christian rocker Jennifer Knapp, uh, also the queer ex-evangelical songwriter Semler, who also topped the iTunes Christian music charts the year before with Preacher's Kid. And uh, we're, we're, we're going to get into that. Now, before we get into that, I just wanted to um, touch on, you know, I, I thought... I'd have a look at some of the songs and uh, there's there's a song that this uh Flamey Grant's done called Esther Ruth and Rahab. Um here's some of the lyrics. In the church where I was raised, all the women hid their hair uh, with what can only be called dollies made of lace. That they sat beside their husbands and he never spoke a word, cause public prayer was not a woman's place. But literally any man was welcome to stand up and for an hour we would listen to them talk. So I guess the lesson there was God would only hear a prayer if it came from a person with a as a kid those sunday mornings made me restless bored and numb and my bible was the only way to pass time so i spent the hour in search of stories brimming with suspense and i found esther ruth and rahab were sublime uh, castaways who outwitted and outplayed an immigrant ancestor to the incarnate divine everyone has a star that lights their way we see our past by someone else's shine esther ruth and rahab they were mine Every Sunday I would find a brand new story with a girl who made some patriarch meet his match. They were paint, painted as conniving, but it wasn't hard to see that secretly most men just fear the... Deborah's military mind brought peace for 40 years. The Witch of Endor, she saw right through Saul's charade. Of course, Eve said, F the system, I'm chasing after wisdom, and Rachel wouldn't let herself be played. Uh, Jezebel sure gave him hell, but she wasn't scared to die. If you're with Jael, think twice when you recline. The only reason we have Moses is because Miriam was there to keep his petty ass in line. Castaways who outlasted and up. It goes on. Now, the why I'm sharing this is because it's this premise of like, um, these guys know the scriptures. It made me think of, you know, when... Yeshua was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. It's like he didn't tempt him with uh, delicacies or any, he, he tempted him with the word and, and Yeshua rebuked him with the word. And this is a very similar situation where this spirit that's operating behind it knows the word. And it, we have to be, uh, we have to know the word ourselves. We have to rightly divide the, wor the word so that we can deal with these situations where we've had individuals who've grown up in church environments but have, have clearly had a distorted um, depiction or, or description of, of what the, 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 the scriptures are pertaining to. Now, um, one of the uh, elements that first came to mind is when we start to see this fallout, um, when we start to see this fallout of a being able to that we've come to a point in in church history um where it's difficult to it can be difficult to describe yourself as a christian because the way in which christianity is portrayed and delivered to a mainstream audience has these connotations so it's hard to say that i'm in the same camp as these guys because 
I'm, I'm not. But at the same time, this is where we are. Now, if we have a generation of individuals that have, have come out from an evangelical, you know, Southern Baptist, whatever, movement, and you hit this postmodern culture of music, art, um, and identity in these facets, we have this melting pot which then spews up individuals like this. Now, I just want to say just for the record, this isn't about the individual. Like, I'm not here to bash the individual. Like, that's not what this is about. I'm more concerned about, and it got me thinking more about this premise of when the law of Moses isn't preached, when the fullness of, of the word isn't um, rightly divided, when um, institutions aren't evangelizing to their families, when preachers, leaders... Uh, hypocritical when there are abuses of power and position and children and all of these things then we're going to have a serious byproduct of of individuals who know the word who know of jesus but the only thing that they've seen of jesus has been at the hands of uh you know terrible uh, terrible individuals so i'm starting to look at this in the sense of well like how how do we deal with this? How how do we as a body deal with this? Now I mentioned the um, the uh, the other artist uh, Semler. Now Semler is another uh, a queer queer Christian so called um, who who's rose to prominence and um, again uh, history within the church I think. Uh, she has an album, so, you know, uh, son of a, a daughter of a preacher or something, preacher's kid, preacher's kid. And um, again, very, very similar premise to, to the drag situation um, where there's clearly uh, an understanding and knowledge of Jesus. But anyway, again, some lyrics. And I personally find in, uh, lyrics interesting. Well, that's just me. I'm a bit of a geek. Um, but this is uh, this is from a song called um, Jesus from Texas. Um, I cut my hair because I'm worth it, and these days I believe in Bigfoot more than God. Because who's he hurting? I grew up a preacher's kid, cleaning up after communion, so I know that a church is not a way to live. It's a weekly reunion. Um, again, for me, I'm just like looking at that on a level. Like, if you're seeing this, um this version of Christianity that is lacking somewhat. Um, it can create the, this, this, uh, this room to, to, to think like, what's it all about? Like, I don't, I, I don't have a sense of a connection to God because I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing it lived out, you know? So I know that a church is not a way to live. Well, when you, when you become a disciple of the most high, like there will be fruits worthy of repentance and, you should be able to, to see that in abundance. Uh, my best friend found God, so we lost touch. I guess a savior beats a friend who thinks you're good enough. I hope she finds love and peace. And if a kid comes out, I hope she calls me. Oh, what a terrible honor it's been to learn that my blessings are things you call sins. I'll spend the rest of my life tearing down the Jesus from Texas you put in a, in a crown. Um, so again, I just wanted to, to set this foundation 
um, of individuals who who know biblical frameworks and contexts. But um, yeah, fall away. Uh, the first song I learned spoke of Bethlehem. So, th- so th- this is a song called Bethlehem, by the way. Um, the first song I learned spoke of Bethlehem. So that prophecy, or is so is that prophecy, or is it brainwashing? Because no one ever pre- pitched the Greek gods, and I don't know why not. I feel like Athena'd understand me. Uh, but my chips have fallen, my Messiah came calling, but what if he'd not? Would my soul just rot? Uh, what I give for just an inch of your peace, because I want to fall, but I've got bruises on my knees. Um, my dad's never cursed in his life. I asked if he smoked, he said twice. Well, by that standard, I'm a goddamn failure. I passed blunts the day I married my wife. And it goes on. Um, again, lots of profanity and edginess. And... Um, uh, yeah, I just started to to feel um, right. How how do we deal with this? How do we um, um, how do we address this? Because we know the biblical standard and the protocol, but yet, how do we love these individuals who have perhaps fallen foul generationally of a of of a people that haven't been living out what the the, the Bible um, says? Now. Um, Going back to that article, it touched uh, touched briefly on this notion of um, conversion therapy. Now, I, I'm very much aware that this is a, a very deep and nuanced topic, but I don't want to be afraid to get into it um, because I think it's important um, how we have these conversations uh, with believers and unbelievers alike who uh, are on the... The, the the sexual orientation uh, spectrum now what we're also dealing with here what I, I think is not only a generational fallout of a uh, misconstruing of the scriptures and and by the way i'm not just th- i'm sure all of these tropes are uh, uh prevalent in all denominations in all perhaps abrahamic religions I'm sure each section has its own pocket of of these things taking place. So this isn't just exclusive to the the Western Christian uh, section. But anyway, um, we get into this narrative of um, a fallout through through these institutions, but also that the answer to this, uh, whether it's uh, queerness, um, certain orientations... um, that we need to go down the route of um, conversion therapy. Now, I know this is this isn't anything new. This has been a, a topic that's been prevalent for for a while. Um, but I just thought there's there's a marrying up here in terms of what's taking place in the music scene and then what's been bubbling along the surface in terms of the narrative with the LGBTQ, how it's uh, forming in society and and popular culture, and how we as believers need to navigate this. Now, con- conversion therapy is like from from a leftist you know secular point of view it's literally like the worst thing to even suggest somebody to to do um so i've got a couple articles here um bear with me a sec so this is from the um uh, organization called stonewall stonewall they do loads of work with regards to to gay rights and initiatives and popular uh things in, 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 in culture. 
but it's everything you need to know about conversion therapy. So my premise was like, what actually takes place in conversion therapy? What 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 does it actually entail? And because I'll premise this by saying I believe <laughs> conversion therapy is is like is that's just relationship <laughs> with 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 Christ. Like uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, everything you need to know about conversion therapy. While it can be easy to think of conversion therapies as something of the past, conversion practices can and and do still happen to lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, intersex, and everything else people across the United Kingdom today. Um, so. Let's get into it. Um, what is conversion therapy? Um, the intention is to get a person to change their sexual orientation or gender identity. This is the opposite of appropriate, affirming and healthy therapy or counselling, which will support an individual who is exploring their sexual orientation or gender identity, whatever the outcome may be. Uh, a non-exhausted list of practices includes pseudo-scientific counselling sessions being induced to Uh, being induced to ingest purifying substances, threatening a person with homelessness, corrective rape, being prayed over as a form of healing and exorcism. So right off the bat, you're getting this depiction of um, changing someone's orientation with like some some wacky uh, tactics as if this is representative of the whole, uh, what it means to to be a follower of Jesus. Like, um, Now... I guess before we go even further, um, I want to premise this, I guess this apologetic, as it were, of sexual orientation, what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, whether gay, straight, whatever your um, predilection was before coming to faith, um, there is a degree of sanctification. There is a degree of, of changing oneself in terms of, what your preferences may be so as a straight man i may have certain preferences or habits or things that i do that are deemed sinful outside of the biblical premise of what takes place in a marriage bed between a man and a woman the god-given natural order of what sex and sexuality a marriage truly represents now again that can get you hung drawn and quartered in some some places that's fine. I stand on biblical truth, and that's that's where I put my flag in the sand. But with that being said, I'm very much aware that everybody is on a path of sanctification, and that just because you're part of a certain denomination doesn't mean to say that you're going to be instantly cured of your leanings, your traumas, or your orientations. However, I believe that if you're truly being sanctified by the Most High God, if you're trying to live in His ways, that by God's grace, he will change your heart and um, will give you a, a way and a means to pick up your cross, to die to self. Again, I'm not saying that this is about curing anything. I'm saying this is about denying of self and, and keeping it moving. But anyway, uh, moving on. So a lot of these are advocating for a ban on conversion therapy. Now, LGBTQ people don't need to be cured and interventions that seem to make a person straight or cisgender cisgender, uh, can and do cause significant long-term harm to victims. Um, Conversion uh, practice is abuse and it must be banned in every setting and for everyone subjected to it. 
Without a ban, conversion practices will continue to put our communities at risk of lifelong psychological damage. Uh, the National LGBT Survey 2018 found that 7% of people have been offered or undergone conversion therapy. Uh, trans respondents were almost twice as likely to have undergone or been offered conversion therapy, while asexual people were also at a higher risk of being offered or undergoing conversion therapy. Um, why is it happening in the UK? Right, so why must conversion... So basically, it's being offered a lot. It's, it's out and about. People don't like it. Uh, why must conversion therapy be banned in faith settings? Uh, with such a high proportion of conversion practices taking place in faith settings, it's vital that these would be included in a ban of, co of conversion therapy. Some LGBTQ people take years to reflect on and explore their sexual orientation and gender identity, and many rely on the help of therapists, psychologists, and religious leaders or communities to support them through that process. Spiritual exploration or counselling in an open and affirming manner can be a massive support for a person. Now, I'm just going to interject here at this point and saying, so if you're doing a, a gender or a sexual orientation exploration on the premise of having a certified uh, psychologist that's been affirmed by our universities and systems of, of the world, um, that's okay. Um, but if you're doing it under the guise of, um, uh, you know, a spiritual leader and it's not affirming this exploration, then it can be harmful if spiritual guidance counseling or prayer takes the form of coercing a person to cure themselves of their sexual orientation or gender identity this is not exploration or counseling it is conversion therapy and it is abuse it is important to be clear that a ban is not about restricting prayer or criminalizing regular religious or faith-based activity there is no question that freedom of religion or, or belief is a crucial and fundamental right and one which is a central and cherished part of life for many LGBTQ people. But there is no freedom or right that grants a license to harm, abuse or torture another person. Agreed with that last sentiment. However, we, we need to look at this, this premise of it's, it's not about restricting prayer or criminalizing re religious faith, faith back based activity our faith-based activity is based on being conformed into the image and likeness of christ okay now a lot of uh, a lot of opposition of of the faith will say well jesus didn't preach against homosexuality he was he was with the sinners um he was with the prostitutes it's like yeah he was and he and and and, and, and he and he loved them and, and he, he loved the he didn't. He loved the sinner. He didn't love the sin, but, but he didn't preach on homosexuality. Well, Yeshua gave the Ten Commandments. Yeshua was the burning bush. Yeshua is is the is the high priest Melchizedek who appeared. He appeared many. He is the Ten Commandments. He is the Devarim. He is the Word made flesh. I'm sorry, but Yeshua <laughs> definitely preached on this. Um. I'm not here to get in all, get all scholarly on it, but Yeshua definitely uh, gave us the foundation to what our understanding of what um, sexual orientation should be under the guise of uh, God. Anyway, um, 
What's interesting, if spiritual guidance, counselling or prayer takes the form of coercing a person to cure themselves of their sexual orientation or gender identity, this is not exploration or counselling, it is conversion therapy and it's abuse. So if trying to help somebody navigate the confusion that they have with regards to either their their gender or sexual orientation, if doing that from a premise of going from homosexual to um, straight, um, that's abuse that's conversion therapy well i'm sorry but i would advocate and suggest that a conversion therapy is taken part and has been taken part for millennia and is still prevalent today you're being converted by your music you're being converted by your televisions you're being converted by the algorithms you're being converted by the generational sin that has existed in your family line you are being converted by familiar spirits that know you and all your all your all your secrets you're being converted by many things and you're receiving therapy for that but that's not abuse that is aiding and loving so Whatever way you look at this, you have conversion therapy either way. You're just saying that one is right and one is wrong. Um, and again, it gets, you know, what would criminalization of conversion practices not include? Holding, writing, teaching, preaching, researching, reporting, or any other form of declaration of belief about morality, ethics, or preference of any sexual orientation gender identity, sexual relationships, or forms of religious or legal recognition of relationships. Uh, supporting a person with personal, emotional, psychological, or spiritual struggles with their sexual orientation or gender identity, where that support does not seek to direct that person to suppress or cure or change their sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, or exploring in therapy or private conversation or any other setting a person's sexual orientation or gender identity without a predetermined purpose long and short of it is yes you can have your religious faith-based practices yes you can have your bibles yes you can have your words but don't use that in order to change people don't use that as a, as a way in which you can help people uh, navigate uh, this this difficult uh, subject what what bugs me here is um this makes way to give being given permission what can be taught from the bible what can be uh, uh used and agreed upon to be a, a standard uh, of practice and a protocol that we that you the world have given us to follow you can follow god and his word but on these terms now for me this gets into the realm of what paul describes as another gospel so what I mean by that is that, yes, Jesus died for our sins whilst we were still sinners. Yes, Jesus says, come as you are. But it's not about staying in that way. It's not about identi identity in our sexual orientation. I don't identify as a, any, like, that's not what it's about. I'm trying to identify as, as the Christ in me. As he's sanctifying and purifying me, I want my identity to be in him and his way and his word. That's another gospel to say, well, yeah, yeah, come as you are. Praise the Lord, love Jesus, and carry on in, in your, you know, he, he still loves you and you're still for the kingdom. Nah, 
nice. That's 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 dis- this is disingenuous at, at best and 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 blood on your hands at worst. So there is a lot more in this area, but I think for the for the sake of time, we'll we'll, we'll keep it moving now. Um, with all of this being said, uh, the heart for this, why I'm talking about this, is how do we navigate a discourse? How do we navigate um, reaching the those that are lost? How do we love? How do we actually love these individuals that are in the, this position uh, without compromise? And I think a big part of our jobs as messianic followers of the Torah is that we live this out in love. We let that light shine and we let people see the fruits of the spirit, the, the fruit of, of obedience uh, and let Yah do the rest. But how does that look? Because if you go down the, the Westboro Baptist, Baptist church route of God hates fags and you're going to hell, like how are you going to have that conversation with somebody? Like if you don't know the, the, the ins and outs of, of, of how this is work, how this works, like how are you going to reach these individuals? I, I don't have the answers. I really don't have the answers. This is a conversation that I've had successfully and unsuccessfully alike with believers, non-believers, gay, straight, and I'm learning about how we navigate this. But I just feel that this is something that's becoming more prominent and something we have to identify. Now, again, we can look. Uh, I could even look further into the. Um, uh, the realms of conversion therapy and the pitfalls within that, because it is, I, I, from what I've seen, it's not a, uh, it's not necessarily the best place to send people who are, who are dealing with these issues. You, you get me, like that. Whether they're, yeah, I'll just say that. I think part of the difficulty as well is when they don't have a foundation on on the fullness of the word, it then becomes difficult to be able to advocate that this is, you know. I would even say if you were plugged into a good church with good doctrine, with good people who love you, it's still going to be really difficult. It's still going to be a struggle. But if you're going to some wavy conversion therapy in Alabama where you get an electric shock treatment to to, to cure the gay, like, no wonder there's a, a revolt against this. No wonder you're getting a prominence of these artists that are singing, no, this isn't the answer. So I'm just going to say, stay in my safe, affirming church where I can have peace to say, you know, it's okay to be how you are and worship God because, again, it's another gospel, but there, there's, a, there's a strong delusion. So that, that's, that's, that's my heart on it. Now, going back to um, Semla, um, I came across this um, short video um about conversion therapy so we'll just have a look um now uh, one of the ladies you'll see in this um in this video is a a, a lady called Jackie Hill Perry um fairly prominent uh, across the pond author uh, musician um does lots of work um and yeah has a very uh, famous testimony of being a lesbian and then coming to the f- or being in the faith and then Anyway, uh, so let's play out. There needs to be some repentance here. For my marriage? Yeah. What the hell? I would have to change who I am to be a member of your church. The language would be repentance. There needs to be some repentance here. For my marriage? Yeah. What the hell have I gotten myself into? Hi, I'm Grace Baldridge. I'm a lesbian, big shock. And I'm also a Christian. As the daughter of an Episcopal priest, I was raised in the rectory, and I built a strong connection to my faith. 
although I eventually swapped out Christian rock for creepy folk music. Anyway, as a queer Christian, there is an undeniable tension between my faith and my community. In a time where it seems division is favored over discourse, Where are your parents? Where's your Bible? I want to start a dialogue, good, bad, or downright sacrilegious. Fortunately, God gave me a curious mind and access to a film crew, so I'm going to reach across the aisle, or pew, I guess, to see if we can break bread or if we'll continue to throw stones. Atlanta, Georgia is a metropolitan city located in the Bible Belt. It's the perfect intersection of faith and the queer community. Say this out. Um, so basically this section just goes into the pride and, and goes into the whole conflict with the, you know, uh, those opposing all of this stuff and, and the breakdown of, of the discourse between the two. Um, but I just wanted to focus on primarily with the conversation that Jackie Hill Perry has with her, which I think could possibly give an indication of... of how to have the conversation, but while staying true to, to a biblical uh, point. Jackie Hill Perry is a wife, mother, teacher, author, poet, and an ex-lesbian. This means that despite experiencing same-sex attraction, Jackie has chosen to commit to a heterosexual relationship with her husband, Preston. I've been watching Jackie's videos for years because I've always had a fascination with understanding people that I disagree with. You have already been deceived if you think that sex is not included in the discussion about what God is Lord over. Jackie did not experience conversion therapy, but at the age of 19, she felt God speak to her and reveal the sin in her life, both holistically and with regards to her sexuality. You are in what I think a lot of people would view as a very conventionally heterosexual relationship. Absolutely. How do you define yourself, though? I define myself as Christian. I just feel like it's unhelpful to define my personhood by what I am attracted to or who I like, but mm -hmm. rather, who do I serve? Do you still experience same-sex attraction? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, women are still pretty and women are still beautiful. And I think there's still things about women that compel me to want to know them more um, than what I believe is okay. There's no secrecy, it's number of vulnerability. So he knows where I am. If I'm having a dream about my ex-girlfriend, he knows about it. To, to this day? Yeah. Really? I think it's definitely something that I can see myself wrestling with and wrestling through probably until the day I go to glory. I was struck by how open Jackie was with me about her struggles and how supportive a relationship she's built with Preston. But I was still struggling with the way that many churches prescribe Jackie's message as the only resolution to faith and sexuality. I wonder what is your opinion of um, reparative therapy, conversion therapy? I'm not a fan just because I don't believe that God's heart is to change people's orientation. I don't see God calling people to be straight. I see him calling people to be holy. Do you? I think that's a zinger. He's calling people to be holy. It's like when you're, when you're, that's your pursuit. The whole sexual thing just, just goes out the window. You just, you just, you just want to follow him. Do his word. Yeah, I just thought that was great think that you have more in common with 
me or with the the protesters that I spoke with yesterday. <laughs> I have nothing in common with them. <laughs> um, the way it's presented is sinful. Some of the conclusions they come to about people and dignifying them is sinful. Um, I think they tend to fall more on the Pharisee side than Jesus' side. Why do you think that you're grouped in with a lot of this really like hateful rhetoric that we hear from the Christian community about the LGBT community and how do you feel about that? I think people have used testimonies such as mine to weaponize people or be used as a weapon to abuse and to be harmful and to be to lack empathy there isn't a affirming from me um, from some of the perspectives that you hold but also I think the love is I don't feel the need to constantly tell you that I disagree in your view is my marriage to my wife uh, a cross of mine if if we were I guess to apply that to you the marriage and the relationship is something to put on the cross yes oh yeah so so my marriage is like is like no you gotta divorce that's a lot of paperwork jackie i don't, I don't know what, what kind of time you think i have but even if i agreed with you i don't have that sort of i don't have the brain power for a divorce jackie and i spoke for hours and she had her own questions for me she asked me what advice I would give to Christians like her. I've talked to a lot of people this weekend who have been like really, really hurt. Mm -hmm. Your way of, of dealing with things is closer to the side that is causing harm mm -hmm. and that spike in suicide rates and a great deal of hurt yeah. than the side of Christianity that I associate with. I know that you do everything with with love and i believe that you i believe that you believe everything that you say and i believe you have a beautiful life but i i do think that there is um a lot of pain being caused in the church right now and it's sort of a problem that they don't want to deal with and i don't think that they want to discuss um christians like me that we exist there we go um, so um, there we have uh, yeah the, the melting pot of uh, contemporary Christian music and um, conversions of, of conversion therapy um, again uh, loads more we could get into with regards to uh, that subject the validity of the statistics whether it be the self-harming the, the suicide rates of those that have uh, been in and around uh, conversion therapy there's, there's also um you know, the success stories, um, there are those that do great work with regards to helping people uh, navigate this this area, uh, which again is, is something we could look probably uh, further into. Um, but yeah, some, some, some good questions, some, some good things to take from that. And um, yeah, uh, that was that was that. So, um, yeah, conversion therapy, good or bad? Uh, what would your answer be to how we navigate this area? How do we treat those that are coming from this, this background or this past and are dealing with it in the context of faith? Uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts.
Right. Um, okay, for our next clip, um, we're going to get into, uh, I don't know if you, you might be familiar with the Lex Friedman uh, podcast. Uh, again, very, uh, very prominent and popular podcast. Uh, has a, a vast range of guests, um, all sorts to um, ex-federal agents, musicians, politicians, uh, business owners, just a, a good blend of uh, people. And um, yeah, I came across this clip. Um, yeah, I came across this clip actually uh, this morning. And um, it, his guest is a guy called Andrew Huberman, who basically he, he does all the podcasts, he does all the rounds. Uh, he's very much uh, uh, an advocate for good health and coming from a scientific scientific perspective but i just thought this was a this was a really an interesting insight into a, a conversation that y you might uh uh might might hear like at work or uh in a pub or just in public or just one of them conversations you that your ears prick and you just want to get involved and put a, a biblical uh, perspective on it but um yeah we'll, we'll get into it and um I have a morning meditation that I do. Um, well, I wake up now, I get my sunlight, I hydrate, I use the bathroom, I do all the, the things that I talk about. Um, I've, I've started a practice of prayer in the last year, which is new-ish for me, which is, we could talk about in it. In the morning? Want. Yeah. Can you talk about it a little bit? Sure, yeah. And, I, and then I have a, a meditation that I do that actually is where I think through with the different roles that I play. Mm -hmm. So I, like, I start very basic. Um, I say, you know, okay, I'm an animal. Like we are, we are like biologically animals, right? Mm -hmm. Human, you know, I'm a man, I'm a scientist, I'm a teacher, I'm a friend, I'm a brother, I'm a son. You know, I go through this, I have this list and I think about the different roles that I have and the roles that I still want in my life going forward mm -hmm. that I haven't yet fulfilled. It just takes me, it, it's sort of an inventory of where I've been, where I'm at and where I'm going, as they say. Um, and I don't know why I do it, but I started doing it this last year. I think because um, it helps me understand just how many different uh, contexts I have to exist in and, and, and remind myself that there's still more that I haven't done that I'm excited about. So within each of those contexts, there's like things that you want to kind of accomplish to define that. Yeah. And I'm ambitious. So I think, you know, I'm a brother. I have, I have an older sister and I love her tremendously. And I think like, I want to be the best brother I can be to her, which means maybe a call, maybe just, um, you know, we do an annual trip together for our birthdays. Our birthdays are close together. We always go to New York for our birthdays if we've gone for the last three, four years. Like really like reminding myself of that role, not because I'll forget, but because I have all these other roles I'll get pulled into. Mm -hmm. I say the first one, I'm an animal <laughs> because I have to remember that I have a body that needs care. Like any of us, I need sleep. I need food. I need hydration. I need that I'm human, that that the brain of a human is is marvelously complex, but also um, marvelously uh, self-defeating at times. And I, so I've been thinking about these things in the context of the different roles. And the, the whole thing takes about four or five minutes. And I just find it brings me a certain amount of clarity that then allows me to ratchet into the day. The prayer piece, um, yeah, I'm a, I, I think I've been reluctant to talk about um, until now um, because I don't believe in pushing religion on people and... Um, and I think that, um, and I'm not, um, it's a highly individual. Uh, so what, what piques my interest is um, an individual who starts talking about godly principles, but is um, maybe either ashamed, embarrassed, or 
uh, in fear of uh, being that that religious zealot uh, who's condemning others because he's talking about God and his faith. Um, why this? Why I, I like this clip is is basically when people start talking about godly practices. Um, but they don't actually ascribe like the biblical description and context to what it actually is. So uh, when I saw this, it just made me think of, um, you know, the, the, a guy who's seeking after God, he's seeking Jesus and he doesn't quite maybe realize it or he's ashamed to, to admit it. And um, yeah, we'll get into his description of what he's been doing. And now again, I'm not advocating for anything here. There might be some, Woo woo juju mixed up probably, but anyway. Thing and I do believe that one can be an atheist and still pray, um, or agnostic and still pray. But uh, for me, it yeah. So he just said there, but it's possible to be an atheist and still pray. It's it's possible to be an agnostic and still pray. Well, yeah, because you can pray to the universe, you can pray to goddesses and all sorts. So it's kind of right. I guess really came about through understanding that there are certain aspects of myself that I just couldn't resolve on my own. And no matter how much therapy, no matter how much, and I haven't done a lot of it, but no matter how much plant medicine or other forms of medicine or exercise or um, podcasting or science or friendship or any of that, I was just not going to resolve. And so um, I started this. You need Jesus because uh, someone close to me um, said, um, a male friend said, you know, prayer is powerful. And I said, well, how? And I said, I don't know how, but if you, th if you can get, it can allow you to get outside yourself, get, let you give up control and at the same time take control. I don't even like saying take control, but the whole notion is that again, forgive me, but there's no other way to say it. The whole notion is that, you know, like God works through us, whatever God is to you, he, he, him, her, whatever, uh, life force, life, nature, whatever it is to you, right? That it works he's, he's scared. He's scared. through us. And so I do a prayer. I'll just describe it where I, I ask, um, I, I make an ask uh, to help remove my defects, my character defects. Sanctification. <laughs> Please change me, change my heart, change my taste. Like, help me to not be the, the carnal man that I am. That's sanctification, buddy. Actually, I pray to God to help remove my character defects so that I can show up um, better in all the roles of my life and do good work, Like to which for me is learning and teaching. Learning and teaching and 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 so you might say, well, how is that different than a meditation? Well, it I'm acknowledging that there is something that bigger than me, bigger than nature, as I understand it, that I cannot understand or control, nor do I want to, and I'm just giving over to that. Mm -hmm. And does that make me less of a scientist? I, I sure as hell hope not. I certainly know I there is the head of our neurosciences at Stanford until recently. Um, I, you should talk to him directly about it. Bill Newsom has talked about his religious life. Um, for me, it's really a way of getting outside myself and then understanding how I fit into this bigger picture. And it's, and the character defects part is real, right? I'm a human. I have defects. Like <laughs> I got a lot of flaws in me, like anybody, but 
um, and trying to acknowledge them and asking for help in removing them, not magically, but through right action. Right action, through right action, through righteousness, righteous deeds. Uh, what he's describing there is a desire for repentance to change, you know, in the Greek, the metanoia, to change his mind and in the Hebrew, to shuva, to, to change his heart and his desire. This man is literally describing his desire to change, to repent, and to walk in the w- in, in righteous ways. And we obviously know the beauty of the gospel is that, you know, through Yeshua and his atonement sacrifice, we, we, we know that we will always fall short. We know that we're always um, going to have defects, but through him, through his sacrifice, which was spotless and without blemish, because he's the only one that came to this earth and was perfect, we can then have that freedom to walk in love in the Great Commission, because he says that he, he wants to teach, he wants to learn and be of service. So he, he's, he's dis- for me, he's describing there uh, a need of a savior, his desire to, to repent and change and to walk in, in righteous ways, that, which he said isn't, isn't in a, in a magical, um, magical way. Through my right action. So I do that every morning. And um, I have to say that it's helped. It's helped a lot. It's helped me be better to myself, be better to other people. Um, I still make mistakes, um, but it's a it's becoming a bigger bigger part of my life. And I never thought I'd talk like this, mm-hmm. um, but I think um, it, it's clear to me that if we don't believe in something, again, doesn't have to be traditional standardized religion but if we don't believe in something bigger than ourselves we uh at some level will self-destruct uh, and it goes on so um the reason uh reason i'm playing this is um basically because like i said th- this is a conversation that we're more than likely to hear uh in our daily lives with our families with our friends work work colleagues this need desire to, to pray um to have this form of godliness, um, but perhaps without um, the acknowledgement of need of a savior of, of the gospel message. And I just thought this this uh, hopefully could empower those who hear those conversations to to be able to explain that what you're saying is is uh, is really biblical, and there is a resolve and there's answers to to these uh, to these things. So I just thought that was uh, uh, an interesting, uh, interesting little segue into into that, and and again, why do I talk about these things? Because this podcast is watched by millions of people, um, and you don't know uh, how these are reaching um, the general population when you see uh, an individual with prominence and popularity who is uh, clearly uh, dealing with uh, facets of the faith and uh, coming to terms with acknowledging a God and everything else that comes with it so yeah um hopefully we'll we'll see more fruit from from that area but um yeah there we go um let's just jump in straight into uh our final piece um i thought it'd be good to to end on some good news and um i saw this and my heart just uh just warmed up uh i i challenge anyone to watch this and not feel uh the fruit of joy um uh, this is about a uh, a lady from South London called 
um, Henrietta. You know, big up the South London massive. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's just really cool. Every weekend, Henrietta gives away food and supplies close to her home in South London, free to whoever needs them, no questions asked. Some of our neighbours are housebound, they don't go out much. And I knew they needed some help. And sometimes pride, people don't want to come and sit and need this. So, and when I start, every Saturday when I start, I go and get them first to pick what they need. She's lived in Bermondsey for over 30 years, but earlier this year, when her local church wasn't able to operate their food bank, she decided to do it herself. I've got a lot of canned food pasta. I've got uh, potatoes, bananas, tomatoes, bread. She started out buying things with her own money, and now she receives donations from local people and supermarkets. You know, it pleases your heart when you've done something good for people. But everybody should help each other in this world. God has made the world so beautiful because if you have three potatoes and someone don't have it, or you have one, it's not going to make you poor. It's not going to make you to... In fact, the more you give, the more you receive, to be honest with you. Henrietta says she will carry on doing this for as long as she can, while local people are still in need. Every weekend, Henrietta... Amazing, amazing. Love her. Uh, praise God for, um, for people like Henrietta. Um, again, I challenge you to watch that and not, be, uh, not get a smile on your face and, and, feel, and feel the heart warm up. Um, yeah, just real simple gospel stuff. Go out help the needy feed the hungry be kind be loving um and uh yeah i just hope that that uh that last clip inspires you in some way to 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 be more like our, our savior yeshua and help those that need it um so yeah thank you so much that's been uh, today's episode uh a lot to cram in there i appreciate you sticking around if you have stuck around to the end um, I appreciate all of the, 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 the comments and the feedback. Again, do the likes, the subscribes, get involved. And um, again, I, I just really appreciate you taking the time to to, uh, uh, to listen. Again, I don't have all the answers. I've got a lot of questions. Uh, I could be wrong on some stuff. I could be right on some stuff. Who knows? Uh, in good time, the, the Lord will, will show me. But um, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, shalom to you, to yours. I, I pray that this finds you and your family well. Um, uh, again, from, from our house to yours, this has been the upper room, uh, after hours and, uh, Shalom, love you loads. Take care. God bless.